The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Thanks for being with us this morning. Um, this is one of those weeks where I get to preach a sermon about the very things that I am struggling with. So, um, I, uh, if this sermon does not make any sense, it's because I've been struggling with some acute insomnia this last week. And... I think I got maybe three hours of sleep last night, so three hours of sleep and a couple of nights this week, so maybe if you add a few days together, I got a normal night's sleep between there, so that being said, um, I'm just trying to give some disclaimers before we get into things, so with that being said, why don't we pray and ask for God's help? Uh, God, as we look at your word and... um, We've been looking at this whole thing of all things being made new. I pray that we would find uh, ways to be made new in Jesus this morning by your spirit. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, As I was just saying, about being overwhelmed has kind of been on my mind lately. Um, What does it look like to be overwhelmed? What does it feel like? Uh, I'm not sure uh, what your experience of being overwhelmed is like, but just seeing the numbers. um, I'm sorry, Nick, can we turn me down just a little bit? I'm getting a little bit of some echo up here. Um, The perpetual change in COVID dynamics um, and then family dynamics of we have four kids and trying to manage everybody. um, Everything can begin to feel like uh, being very overwhelmed. I'm not sure what your experience feels like, but... As I've thought about that, I've thought about how the characters in the Advent story that we all kind of talk about this time of year um, were equally overwhelmed by their experience of things. You can imagine um, Zachariah and Elizabeth, uh, who had been trying to have children for their entire lives, and then um, as Zachariah is performing his priestly duties, and an angel shows up, of all things, and says, you're going to have a baby, or your wife is. Um, and then when he doesn't believe the angel, uh, he gets sentenced to being mute for several months. So you can imagine having the realization, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have a baby that we wanted for a long time. And then I'm not going to be able to talk to my wife about it (laughs) for over nine months. Um, probably older in life. There's a lot that you'd want to talk about. Um, certainly seeing an angel would be overwhelming. Uh, Mary and Joseph, um, (laughs) You could just imagine everything in that scenario, like, hey, I'm going to have a baby. Uh, yes, this is from God, and uh, God shows up to tell you that that's true. <laughs> Certainly overwhelming. Uh, you have the shepherds out in the field, um, and they get a concert from the angels. That shows that's pretty overwhelming. You have the magi show up, and they uh, stumble into some of the major political turmoil of the day. Um, they're just trying to find the king of the Jews, and then they end up stepping into a mass murderer's uh, house and almost get tripped up into his graveyard. Um, Herod, by the way, um, often killed family and friends to maintain his position of power, so it's no joke. Um, he was no joke to mess with. Uh, there was also at the time uh, the re- revolt of the Jews in 4 AD that would have made the politics of the time a little uh, tenuous. So when somebody shows up on the heels of something called the revolt of the Jews saying, we're looking for the king of the Jews in a Roman province, uh, 
feels a little overwhelming. <laughs> Maybe it begins to feel like uh, the Advent story of people being overwhelmed amidst uh, cultural chaos and political dynamics feels a little familiar. In fact, I think that's probably just the nature of what it means to be a believer, and that's what I think we're invited to this morning. Um, everybody in the Christmas story is overwhelmed, probably just baseline, and then you add all these Jesus miracles on top of everything else. Uh, typical Advent series is usually like faith, hope, peace, love, these really positive things. And I think in the midst of all those things, people are overwhelmed and beyond their limit, white-knuckling their lives. And I think what we're invited to consider through these stories is what does it look like to experience renewal amidst being overwhelmed by life? When we're feeling overwhelmed, we're right in the middle of God's story. That's the way it's always been, and I think that's the way it's always going to be until Jesus returns to be overwhelmed by life. And so what we want to ask this morning is how do we find wells of renewal in Jesus when difficult times won't let up? Um, what I want to do this morning is a little different than what I typically would do. We typically just look at one passage. I'm going to, I've pulled together five kind of categories of how I think we can address this idea of being overwhelmed. And uh, as we look through them, they're kind of, two of them go together. But we want to ask this question, how do we find spiritual renewal in continuing difficult times? So we're going to do, we're going to kind of hop through some sections of the Bible. If you you guys cool with that? Everybody all right? All right. First thing we're going to look at, how do we find wells renewal in Jesus when difficult, when difficult times won't light up? First thing we do is we turn our overwhelming emotions toward God. Second uh, Corinthians is a book all about being overwhelmed. And Paul, right at the beginning, says this. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that, we, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that you may, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I think it's interesting that Paul does not hide his uh, distress and difficulty uh, from people, uh, so much so that it is uh, permanently inscribed in Scripture for the last 2,000 years. Um, Paul is uh, free to tell people about his struggles. He doesn't uh, man up or muscle up or hide the fact that he was uh, struggling, that he was overwhelmed, that he was overwhelmed. It's good to talk out loud about those things. Um, his uh, life is constantly uh, presenting new ways for us to be overwhelmed. And just like Paul, as we kind of look through some of his life, it's okay to talk about those things. Uh, we have to remember that this is uh, this is the very guy who said, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then here he is, he's saying, I despaired of life itself. So you can have both. You can have whatever the, the peak is and whatever the, the valley is. Those are the dynamics of Paul's spiritual life. The experience of being overwhelmed is one way, is in one way or another, it is designed 
to detach us from self-reliance. Um, we live in a culture that is all about helping us be incredibly uh, convenient, self-reliant, especially as New Englanders. We do not like to present ourselves or acknowledge weakness. Um, in the weightlifting world, there's all these different dynamics of um, how this shows up. I see this all the time. I, don't know, I see all these memes where it's like a well-dressed guy and he's working out or whatever, and he's like, you know, you sleep in until 7 a.m. I wake up at 4 o'clock and I lift all these weights and we're not the same, like that type of thing. And it's like, okay, but you both get hit by a car and die pretty quickly. <laughs> like, it's not going to prevent you from, from the weakness of being a needy person. You still have need. You still have to, as far as I'm aware, have to eat food. You still need sleep. You still need clothes. You still need all of these things. And so to try to present ourselves as these sort of macho, self-reliant, we don't need other people dynamics goes, very, goes against not only the grain of the universe, but the very design of what it means to be in Jesus. God will use every overwhelming experience in your life, whether it's a good thing, you know, like newborns are a good thing, and uh, you don't get a lot of sleep with newborns. <laughs> or if it's the injustices of the world and something that's gone wrong that you feel has gone, um, is never going to be righted, whatever it is that keeps you up at night, God can use both of those things to release your hand from holding on to self-reliance. That is the very design of it. And what Paul is pointing us towards here is it's okay to turn those emotions. That's distressing. It's overwhelming. It's okay to turn those, those emotions towards God himself. And say, God, I need you to do the very type of miracle that you did in raising Jesus from the dead and helping me work through and experience your presence in the midst of being renewed. We want to go to next is kind of the complement to that idea. Just later on here in 2 Corinthians, we want to see how we want to receive the supernatural courage of simply belonging to Jesus. This is what Paul goes on to say about his being overwhelmed. 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the, in the body of death, always carrying in ourselves the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is describing uh, maybe something we're all very familiar with. Uh, being afflicted, being perplexed, per persecuted or struck down, these emotions of feeling like we're just kind of constantly under the weight of another decision, another dynamic, another reality that we have to adjust our lives around, another way in which things aren't going the way we hoped they would. Being exhausted and overwhelmed by all of these dynamics is certainly uh, natural. The strength and ability to walk through being overwhelmed, however we get through it, is sustained through Jesus' power 
and not ours. And I would just I like to comment here to say, whatever this affliction is, whatever it feels like to be persecuted, whatever it feels like to be perplexed or struck down, the Bible does not really get into comparing these realities. What was whatever Paul's persecution was versus somebody else's persecution, or whatever Paul experienced as being afflicted versus your experience of being afflicted. Like the Bible doesn't really get into like saying who's got it worse. <laughs> it, it it's irrelevant in a certain sense because the experience of being overwhelmed, the experience of being afflicted, the experience of being perplexed, we all know what it's like to then experience on the edge of these other categories, right? Feeling crushed driven to despair, feeling forsaken, feeling like we're being destroyed. Those are all emotions that we're all very familiar with, and the Bible does not particularly care about comparing, well, if Paul can get through it, you know, he wasn't destroyed. Maybe it can bring some hope, but it's really irrelevant because the question is, where is God in the midst of all of this? And what Paul is pointing us to is that in the very moments of death where you experience Things are not going the way I want them to. I do not have the power for this. I feel overwhelmed by all of life. I feel overwhelmed by what's going on. He says, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Those places where we feel most perplexed and crushed and overwhelmed are the exact places where Jesus plants the seed of his resurrected power so that it is in Jesus, not in our strength, that we begin to find a way through. It is where Jesus comes in and, ex- and we experience life in those areas so that we begin to walk in Him and not our own strength. Third thing I want to point out here, we're kind of trucking through these, I know, but I know you can appreciate where we're going. Um, how do we find re- uh, wells of renewal in Jesus when difficult times won't light up? Third thing is I want us to continue to lean into the one another's as our relational guide. I've been reading through uh, Amanda Gorman. Um, I don't know if you saw her. She did the uh, poem during the inauguration this last year. Um, she had the yellow dress, the red hairband thing. I don't know what those are called because I don't have hair, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> she just published a book of ess- or a book of poems, and uh, in one of them, she cites David Brooks by commenting about how we are a probably one of the least socially trusting generations. Progressively since World War II, culturally and socially, we begin to we have less social trust in each other. You begin to see that in the amount of. Uh, division, the amount of caustic conversations, either it's on Facebook or wherever, maybe it's in your workplace or Thanksgiving table. Um, we are at each other's throat. So this is a place where we can feel overwhelmed. And my encouragement for us in the midst of all of this is to turn back to these one another commands of the New Testament as a way of finding a relational guide forward through how do we build relationships during this time? What does that look like? What does it mean to be people together? Because I'm afraid, I'm fearful for how the very technology in our pockets is dividing us. I'm very concerned that Christians are self-segregating into churches where they have politically like-minded people and they have no diversity of perspective. I'm very concerned the way social media is dividing us 
and how we view other people as commodities and how that will influence us and how we live our life together in Jesus. So, there are 94 one, other, one another commands in the New Testament. I'm not going to read all of them this morning. <laughs> you can find them online. I promise they're there. But there's, one, there's, there's 94 commands related to how do we relate to one another. A third of them are about love. Love one another. So I have a few of them kind of up here. A third of the, the commands relate to love one another, through love, serve one another, tolerate one another in love, be devoted to one another in love. Loving each other is a critical way in which we just show that other people, regardless of how weird they are, <laughs> belong to Jesus, and we belong to him, and we're going to love the people that Jesus loves. And if they're circus freaks, welcome to the club, you know? It's the way it goes. Unity with one another is another third. A third of them relate to being um, uni uh, being unified in Jesus. I, I put this up here more as a commendation for my experiences uh, with you guys than any sort of correction. I feel like we live this out well, but be of the same mind with one another, accept one another, don't bite and devour and consume one another, be gentle, patient, and tolerant of one another, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving of one another, bear with and forgive one another. This is all about unity, right? And this doesn't mean that there's a uniformity between us, but there is a leaning into a desire for unity. We are going to do this together. There's not a uniformity of how we're all going to do it, how we're all going to be Christians and all that stuff, but there is a unity of what it means to be together. 15% of those commands then relate to humility towards one another, give preference to one another and honor, regard one another as more important than yourselves, serve one another, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. And then kind of the miscellaneous ones, I, I know I've commented that my favorite one is like, give each other the holy kiss, right? I'm kidding. Give each other the holy hug, right? That's what we're going to call it, right? Bear one another's burdens, speak truth to one another, comfort one another concerning the resurrection, encourage and build up one another, stir up one another to love and good deeds, pray for one another. There are 94 of these commands. They are all still effective. <laughs> they are all still our guide. They are all things that we should lean into when we do not know what it looks like to be a church together amidst all the craziness of life right now. I think the most important thing I would say here is that this is the very thing, this is the very reason why we have missional communities as a church. Because there are 94 commands about loving one another and a huge amount of pictures of the life of the church about what it just means to be faithful disciples in Jesus. That is why the two main things that we have as a church, Sunday morning and missional community. Our structure and our schedule are very minimal apart from that because we really want those things to be kind of the tracks for us to live our lives together. I would very strongly encourage you, if you're not a part of a missional community, to continue to lean into and find one. I know that December's crazy because, you know, vacations and family visiting and all that, blah, blah, blah. Come January, let's make sure that we're finding a place for, for you to fit in and to be a part of a small group. If you're in one and you're like, hey, this doesn't jive in for me, we got other options. We got a couple. We got like three of them right now. You know, if you can't join the teen one, I'm sorry. Dave Hamilton is super cool, but if you're not a teenager, you can't be in the teen one. But all the other ones are open for everybody else. When we're overwhelmed, if you're anything like me, the temptation is to pull away from other people. 
temptation is to withdraw. I put these one another commands in front of us, not to berate you, but to invite you into. I will say that one of the most life-sustaining things that I have experienced has been when I lean into other believers, not for answers, but simply to know that Jesus is real and that between us is Jesus. So I would strongly encourage you, keeping an, a missional community or a small group as an important part of your spiritual life is one of God's key ways for providing for you and feeling overwhelmed. I will just comment that in all of the Advent stories, they're all overwhelmed. And what do you see all the characters of the Advent story doing? Leaning into other believers. I think it's something that we need to consider. And feeling overwhelmed, another way, to, another place to find a well of spiritual renewal. Um, I, this is not going to be totally out of left field, but it's going to feel like it. Don't spiritualize your body away. <laughs> this is from Paul in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. I know this is probably a strange verse to cite in a recovery center. So I just want to give the initial uh, observation that the encouragement in the Bible is to enjoy God's good gifts. It's never to uh, become addicted to or enslaved to any substance or anything like that. So we're not encouraging you like, hey, two bottles of wine a night, go have fun for Jesus. That's not what we're saying here. What Paul is trying to do here for Timothy is that Timothy is much like, he's kind of like a guy in my position, a pastor, cares for people's spiritual lives, cares for people's discipleship in Jesus, can be very kind of up in his head. And Paul is just simply reminding him, hey, as much as you spiritually care for other people, you need to care for your body. Your body is a critical part of your life in Jesus. You're not just a soul and thinking. <laughs> you have a physical reality. We just talked about this in some of our sermons in the All Things New Sermon series, and we talked about this last year when we preached through Ecclesiastes. But your humanity is not just something that you think about. It's something that you experience and are. You experience life as an embodied person. So some of this is the category of self-care, right? I'm not sure if you're familiar with that category. It does not, I don't bring it out as a way of talking about self-indulgence, but it is a growing awareness of your, of your physicality, of what it means to be you. Uh, you are all lovely people and much more healthier than I am, but you have to care for your body as a part of your spiritual discipleship in Jesus. That's a part of what Paul's saying, and it's not You've got to lose weight. You've got to gain weight. It's not you've got to go running. It's not you've got to go do this. It's just you need to learn who you are as a physical person and what does it mean to follow Jesus and to be physically, to count for that physically. So, is that making sense? Am I tracking here? All right. I, uh, I talked with um, the illustrative Rachel Litzinger this week about this category because she's got some things to say on this stuff. And... I thought it would be helpful to kind of think through these things. They aren't slides, um, but I'm going to read them for you. If you want, you can get my manuscript. But I just asked Rachel, like, what are ways in which we can manage and respond to the anxiety and stress and feeling overwhelmed in our lives? And so she gave me three proactive areas and then three reactive areas. So the first reactive, proactive area is just simply related to vitamin D. 
you buy it just get outside like i don't know if you're aware of this but from my understanding uh from uh friends and family that are like in the dermatology world like your face is designed to like soak up all the vitamin d that you need for a single day in just 20 minutes outside like you just it's like a solar panel if you can't do that because it's the winter in new england <laughs> and you drive to work before it gets <laughs> If the sun comes up and you leave because before this uh, after the sun goes down uh little uh, 5000 IUs or whatever they are vitamin D tablets super helpful rest think what about the what kinds of rest are achievable for your current season and prioritize it start small right what are tangible five senses related ways to experience rest and actually need to rest like this isn't like trying to be like well, I'm going to rest and I'm going to like, you know, you know, plan my schedule and calendar and catch up on work emails, rest. Like this is like rest and watch an Avengers movie type thing, you know, <laughs> or whatever. If you don't like the Avengers, whatever your thing is. Um, one proactive, another proactive category is repetitive motion in a relaxing brain space. And this is a, a fancy way of kind of saying like doing simple things with your body in a place that is comfortable for you. So that could be uh, going for long walks, running, biking, aerobics, yoga, exercise, weightlifting, whatever it is. Like your you know, place of solitude and sanctuary, but doing something with your body that causes you to have to do some like physical exertion. It's a, one other category along these lines, Rachel pointed out, was moving your hands. So that's coloring, painting, writing, making jewelry sewing, cooking, playing an instrument, something like that. So like for me recently, as a way of how I've been trying to do this, of finding tangible ways to relax, is I'm definitely becoming more of like like the snobby hipster. So I got like vinyl, like I'm starting to listen to vinyl records because I want to like have like a physical, like here's the music that I hold, not my Spotify playlist and all that. Like here, I own this music, I put it on the record, I, I watched the, the, I, really like watching the arm move over. <laughs> I know it's very bizarre. I just like that there's straight lines and then it moves over and it gets in the straight line and it moves around. But I draw, I'm starting to draw, um, all that sort of stuff where I'm just trying to find ways where I disconnect from the digital world and physically live out what does it mean to be a human. And just my drawings are super, they're not like you guys who do the like, what is it, the, the drawing stuff in November, right? What is that, the Instagram thing? Inktober, October, sorry, right? Sorry, I'm a little behind on the times. But you guys with your drawing and all that stuff, I see it on Instagram, I'm kind of like, it's not me. <laughs> I'm like, a little, like, just above stick figures, and they're all like, you know, Godzilla. <laughs> stuff. Like, stick figure Godzilla. <laughs> That's my drawing right now. So, three reactive categories. Uh, I hadn't, you know, it's funny, I was trying to do some research on this, and Rachel mentioned this, and I'd seen this in other things. But deep breathing, some of you like on the Wim Hof stuff, but deep breathing, so in for four seconds, breathing in for four seconds, holding your breath for four seconds, and then breathing out for six seconds. Scientifically, there's a lot of research behind, really helps you relax. Uh, respond to stress. Telling truths to yourselves out loud, I think is incredibly helpful. I'm glad that Rachel mentioned this to me because I, we are so used to like just in our head with just so much of our discipleship and lives. like you realize that most people read out loud in the ancient world 
And it wasn't until about the fourth century that people read, started reading in their heads. So like Augustine, he's a really famous church history guy. He was shocked when he saw somebody reading silently. It's just so intuitive to the ancient world to read out loud because it's a part of your physicality. So it's a part of just simple truths out, saying simple truths to yourselves about loud, I'm loved in Jesus, I'm valuable, I have meaning, but using like your physical body, like it reinforces those things in critical ways. If, if things become too much, it's okay to relocate to another room. And Rachel's final comment was, it's okay if the holidays are hard and you're not feeling full of joy. That's a lot to say, just simply, you have to account for how your body is affected by the world around you and being overwhelmed. And the reason I cite this 1 Timothy 5, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments, is because Timothy clearly had frequent problems, frequently overwhelmed. And the command was not simply, trust in Jesus, get over it. It was, account for your body and respond in helping your body experience the peace of Christ. All right, final comment. You guys cool? We're down? All right. This is the final one. It's very small. Keep an eye on the final return. Revelation 1, 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Just a small comment. In the ancient world, the sea, the sea represented chaos and an overwhelming disorder in the world. And that's why there's no sea in the future, because God's brought peace to last everywhere. So it's not like a literal, there's no water. It's more of a metaphor and image. For the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Slides went out. But you get the idea. I think it's interesting that one of the ways that Jesus responds to overwhelming the world with his renewing love and power is responding to the very places of being overwhelmed in our own lives. Where do tears, where does mourning, where does sorrow and sadness come from? From being overwhelmed by life. And when Jesus returns, his eyes are directly set on those things that cause us distress and being overwhelmed and anxious and worried and fearful. And he says, these are all done with now. I am here to make things, all things new by my very presence. So as we begin to experience being overwhelmed, we need a final view of our perspective. We're celebrating the first coming of Jesus. And we're talking here about the final coming of Jesus. Between here and there, we will have more and more continual, overwhelming experiences of life. But they are not the things that define us. Jesus will return, and he will set all things right. So, 
I hope that in the midst of all these five things, a bit of a a la carte, so to speak, of how to find peace and respond to being overwhelmed during the Advent season. So let's pray. God, as we have looked at these categories and considered what does it look like to be overwhelmed and to find renewal in Jesus, I pray that you continue to be with us, that in this Christmas season that we would be at rest in Jesus. In his name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.